Hello. Glad to have you with us. My name's Stephen Dickens, and I'm the host of the I'm a Mainframer podcast. We're shaking it up a little bit today, where we've got a panel of revered guests joining me on the podcast. So I think you're going to enjoy this session we have planned for you today. The Open Mainframe project is part of the Linux Foundation's collaborative project structure. And we're a project that's designed to build a community to gather around the mainframe technology. So we're, our objective is to drive forward this platform. So without further ado, I'll, I'll introduce some of our guests. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I've got Jay, Todd, and Len on the call with me. Um, so if we can go around and do some introductions, um, keen to get you um, talking and for the uh, listeners out there not to be hearing my voice and to be hearing from you as guests. So, so Len, if we could start with you, if you could just sort of position your role um, and use that as a way to kick us off for you. Certainly. Uh, my name is Len Sandalucia. I am the chair of the governing board of the Linux Foundation Open Mainframe Project. Also, I am the CTO and business development manager for uh, Viacom Infinity, a premier IBM business partner. Um, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I met these two fellows you're about to hear, and I thought the message that they have would be very good for this podcast that I know Stephen runs frequently, and I think you're going to enjoy it um, because it really uh, shows another great way to leverage the powerful IBM Z mainframe. So uh, let me turn it back over to you, Steve. Fantastic, Len. I don't know whether we've ever done this podcast together, but it's long overdue for me having you on here as a guest. Well, I'm glad to be here today. Thank you. Fantastic. So, Todd, if we could go to you next, and if you could just position your role for us. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm Todd Schofield. I'm actually the founder and co-director of the Data Intensive Discovery Initiative at the University of Buffalo. Uh, prior to that, I... Uh, uh, was an entrepreneur in the sales automation space you know, way prior to uh, Salesforce.com. Right? And, you know, how I ended up, you know, on this podcast is because I had an insurance problem many year ago, many years, years ago, where I had to uh, try and figure out how I could move my insurance from New Jersey to Texas. And it created a data problem, data, data discovery problem, which turned into understanding data profiling, which turns us into today where we have this massive problem about understanding data, which will, I guess, I need to pass it to Jay right now. Yeah, Jay, if, I mean, we'll get into that. That sounds interesting, Todd, and, and thanks for the headlights into that as part of your introduction. We'll certainly get into that as in the in the body of the call, no doubt. There sounds some rich topics for me to come back to, but let's, let's stay on introductions for a moment. Jay, if you could just position 
your role and where you fit, that'd be fantastic for the listeners. Uh, sure, Steve. Uh, so my name is Jay Desai, and I'm one of the co-founders of Extreme Data. Uh, we're a company based in uh, Illinois. Uh, prior to Extreme Data, I was a co-founder of a data warehouse uh, consultancy called Nightspeed Solutions. Uh, we started that in Chicago and grew to about 750 people, and the company was ultimately acquired by HP. So I've been in the data space uh, for more than 25 years, uh, helping uh, you know enterprise customers solve very large data challenge issues. So if we can spend some time just really getting our listeners calibrated, get a perspective of where you guys kind of have come from and what's been your personal journey. Um, the podcast is called the I'm a main framer podcast. And what I try and do on these calls is really just get behind the LinkedIn profile, get behind the job title on the business card uh, and really get a bit of the personal story. So I mean, let's shake this up. Jay, you went last on introduction, so maybe you can go first on sort of giving us a, a couple of minutes on your personal journey and, and kind of how you ended up on this podcast today. Uh, sure, sure. So uh, like I said, you know, I have a background in uh, data and what have you. Uh, it started long ago. Uh, I think you and I were talking uh, just before this uh, podcast started. Uh, I was born in Kenya, raised there, grew up in England. Uh, started working there, came to the U.S. in 1988, and started working in the consulting space and started my own company, Nightsbridge, and then Extreme Data. So the journey has been focused on data from the very onset for me. And uh, specifically within data, I have been focused on, uh, Stephen, uh, a large, complex data issues that enterprises have. Whether uh, back in the 90s, the challenges were assembling data, organizing data to be able to do you know, uh, proper business intelligence report, reporting analytics and so forth. And uh, today, it, uh, companies are preparing for the AI and ML era. And what, what we've been focused on is solving those issues to help companies do this on very large scale and what have you. Fantastic. And and what's been the mainframe as part of that journey, Jay? Um, just trying to pull through kind of how that technology platform's been part of that narrative. Sure, sure. So what is very exciting to us basically is, uh, 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 Stephen, that most of the customers we worked with in the history have been very large enterprise customers. And these customers have massive investments in uh, the mainframe environment, right? And most of the critical data, the real high dollar value data in the business world today, it originates on the mainframe. And at Extreme Data, as we are perfecting our software, uh, you know, we recently actually uh, uh, sort of ported everything to um, the mainframe, uh, including scalable tests and what have you at Poughkeepsie that we've done. Uh, so we are very excited about what uh, the solution can do on the mainframe environment. So we're looking at a very large set of opportunities where we bring to bear uh, very high speed and analytic abilities to the mainframe community at large in the world. And we'll go through more detail as, as we go through this. But that's, that's sort of the, the, the journey to the mainframe, Steve. Okay, so the, and and what's your been your exposure to the platform? It's interesting when I talk to people in sort of leadership roles, how many of them have got a history as a a third shift tape operator or somebody was a a sysadmin back in the day. Is, is that part of your sure. history, Jay? Uh, very much so, Steve. Uh, so it started. I think I mentioned to you earlier my first uh, earliest job. Uh, in England coming out of university was working at Hobart for the Prudential Assurance Company. Mm -hmm. And Prudential was one of the preeminent large uh, IBM mainframe 
a customer back in the in the 80s and uh, so that was uh, the start basically working in uh, a very very large uh, enterprise uh, you know in financial services uh, that had uh, very deep uh, uh, sort of uh, implementations of mainframe systems whether it's policy claims so on and so forth and uh, i started there and my role there basically was in the networking area so it was sna networking steve uh, and network capacity planning uh, and, uh, you know, uh, implementations thereof. That was my role at uh, Prudential for almost like three, four years. Oh, fantastic. So been with the platform and been around this space for a while, Jay. Good to hear. Exactly, exactly, exactly. 32, 32, 3178, 3179, 3278, those terminals, I know them very well. <laughs> it's fantastic how people always have got a perspective of where they started their career and what they were first on from a platform perspective point of view that you can t- spot the real ma- mainframers if they can uh, rattle off the the first terminals they were on so, <laughs> yes. so todd if we could just do the same if you can just sort of give us a little bit of of an insight for the listeners into your journey and kind of how you've come to where you are today uh, well steve is i was the absolute opposite of jay i started working with Digital Equipment Corporation as my first job, you know, 30-plus years ago. And I was doing everything to beat back the IBM mainframe. <laughs> so it's po- it's poacher-turned-gamekeeper for you, Todd, this, <laughs> this call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, what what happened with me when I first started was the PC. Um, uh, I, actually, the first job I had was using IBM mainframes uh, as an intern to uh, w- with a database called Nomad, developed by a company called National CSS, which was a. Uh, 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 you know, a, a group of uh, engineers at IBM that said, you know, we need to use use this technology beyond batch capabilities. And they created a uh, uh, time-sharing company, which today is now called the cloud, uh, that I was hired to help the uh, uh, sales uh, VP of sales to, you know, create um, n- new endeavors for a a new IBM, uh, not IBM, you know, new new uh, mini computer that ultimately turned out to be the uh, IBM 4300 series. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was trying to help them sell this device, uh, which, you know, turned out to be a failed moment <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so that was my introduction to IBM and the mainframe. So you've, got, you've, then got went, a his, you've got a history chart of trying to compete against us and failing, which is always good to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so, you know, the, the 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 net is, you know, I end, ended up with figuring out data profiling, uh, you know, through the fact of being at 
you know, getting insurance for cars and that kind of stuff. And yeah. when I moved, you know, when I moved from uh, New Jersey to Texas, you know, and I had uh, Liberty Mutual as my provider, I ended up, you know, sitting in front of uh, a uh, customer service rep, right, who told me that, you know, we need to move data from one system to another. And I sat there for an hour and a half and watched her cut and paste stuff where they, you know, didn't know what the data was. So, so, and that was so my the first challenge at first, first hand of how back in the day people were moving data from point A to point B and system to system. Right. So that's my exposure, and that's when I got exposed to the first data profiling technology uh, that was there. It was from a company called Evoke, and that technology is now actually part of uh, um, Informatica. But the thing is, is that you can't, uh, the way it's being used today, it's just being used, you know, by an individual. Right now, if you can actually uh, expose the whole data set right up front, you know, like what you can do with Extreme, is all of a sudden all these uh, data scientists and others can know what what's going to happen next for them. Okay. Yeah, we'll come back to that, Todd. There's some interesting points there that I want to pull up on and, and maybe try and foster a conversation with Jay and yourself on that particular topic. So, so Len, if, if you can maybe give the listeners um, just a little bit about your personal story. I've probably heard this a hundred times, but, but every time you tell it, there's a little anecdote in there I've not heard before. So I'm, here, I'm keen to hear you tell it again. And for many of our listeners, this is going to be a fascinating story. So... If you can give us a perspective, Len, on on your sort of personal I'm a mainframe journey, that'd be that'd be excellent. Certainly. Um, I graduated from a place called Binghamton University, which is in the same town where IBM incorporated in 1924, and. When I was growing up, I was part of an IBM family uh, being third generation. IBM has been in my family since 1936. And my grandpa, then my dad, then me. And when I got out of college, I tried like heck to go to work at IBM, but there was a hiring freeze in IBM Endicott. And I went to work for someplace that Todd's familiar with, Digital Equipment Corporation. And uh, I used to sit across the table from my grandfather and at the family get-togethers, and he'd always kind of look around real proud at the family. And, he, and I was the firstborn, so I was at the other end, and he was at the head. And um, he'd say, Leonardo, when the heck are you going to come to work for us? And i go, Pa. When the heck are you going to hire me? <laughs> Back and forth. I got in 
after a few years, finally, because I always wanted to work for IBM, but it took me a while because I did first digital, then Burroughs, then I finally got in in 1978. 1978 to 2008, almost 2009, almost a full 31 years, and I retired when an opportunity came along because I, I was on those uh, on that uh, retirement plan that IBM had back then, a pension, which you sometimes don't hear too much about anymore, and came to work for us. And I've been here over another decade, still doing the same thing I love to do, and that's working with the IBM mainframe, selling it, installing it, maintaining it, teaching about it, all kinds of things. And uh seen a lot of things in those years, and one of the things that uh, I got involved with was um, something known as Open Edition in February 1993, which I did for a while in trying to get people to come from Sun servers and other systems over to the mainframe's form of Unix built into MVS called Open Edition. It eventually became known as Unix System Services as we know it today. But after doing it for a while, it was um, a good experience, but I decided to t um, take on a role to teach uh, system engineers that were coming on from colleges and making and helping form their careers. It was a new hire program that I enjoyed doing very much. But as time went on, all of a sudden I started getting these calls from people saying, Len, we'd like you to come back and learn this thing called Linux. And I said, that sounds like Unix. And I said, I've already tried that for a while. I said, no, I really like working with these young people. Uh, you know, let the young people do it. I, I banged my head against that wall for a long time. They said, no, 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 we need you because, you know, you know the Wall Street customers. We're making inroads. This is totally different. It's not that. You're going to find it to be better. And one thing led to another and they made me an offer I could not refuse. And so 1999, I took on the, I was the first person in the company to take on this role, getting Linux out to the Wall Street customers, either on x86 or Power or Z. It wasn't always just, it wasn't pure mainframe. It was a Linux impact team. Great experience, learned a lot about other architectures that I, that I never worked on before besides the mainframe. But eventually, when uh, as time went on, I really found out that I made a good move. It was very exciting. It was uh, pioneering. We could, we were doing all kinds of things that we never would have been able to do in, in such an emerging business like this. And all of a sudden, the mainframe started taking off on Wall Street with Linux and virtualization with ZVM and eventually KVM uh, in the middle 2000s. And then uh, the rest is history, as we know, uh, a lot of Linux runs across the world with uh, Linux on the mainframe. And uh, I uh, eventually became U.S. Air's most frequent traveler in the world. I had 7 million miles on U.S. Air. People wanted to know what this kid was doing on Wall Street with Linux so successfully. And I said, I don't know. I'm just talking to people. <laughs> But it, it was uh, very exciting and used to sell a heck of a lot of blades, too. I mean, there were some of these customers that were buying 40,000, 50,000 blades at a time with all this Linux virtualization and a lot on Z when, because it could consolidate the, 
Blaze, um, because some of the people were putting too many in and they were burning up the place. I remember one time I came out of a subway hall, looked across the street to the customer I was going to go look at, and they had yellow tape all across the front of it because they had caused a fire underneath the streets. They overloaded the circuits, and then I get a call from that customer saying, we need to talk to you about this consolidation. I said, I told you you should have done a long time ago. They were friends of mine. He says, no, we got to do it now. We know, Len. Don't give us a hard time. Come and talk to me, will you? <laughs> and uh, it was really... It's really, it was been, it's just been a lot. And then my kids got so, t- heard me talk about it so much. I got a, a, a subscription from the kids to the New York Times because we decided to move to live in Manhattan for a while after they moved out of the house and my wife been having a good time. And it, it was said on labeled New York Times, Lennox, L E N U X, Santa Lucia, instead of Lennox, <laughs> Santa Lucia. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, it's just been it's just been one heck of a ride. There's always one anecdote that I've not heard in that story, and Lennox was the one. I knew there was, I'm, you know, I know this story, but there's bound to be something in there that I've not heard. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not kidding about it. Mike, I use it all the time when I talk to people, if I remember. Oh, that's classic. So, so guys, that's. In those personal journeys, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> nuggets. But, but I think for the next part of our discussion, I maybe want to go back to something you mentioned, Todd, around this whole sort of data challenge. Um, I think there's some fertile ground for us there to maybe spend sort of five minutes or so. I mean, Jay, maybe give us your perspective. What, what's the extreme sort of data view of that data challenge? And, and then maybe we'll come to you, Todd, to get your angle on it as well. So start with well, you. My, uh, sure, uh, sure. Uh, you know, just, you know, before Jay speaks is, you know, understanding the data is absolutely core to, you know, us moving forward, you know, you know, as a world. You know, Jay, go ahead. Sure. So exactly, Stephen. I think uh, I think our view basically is that uh, when you look at uh, every uh, it's a, today, the, the 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 term people use basically is data is a new oil, right? Data is a new resource, and so forth, as an example. Uh, and uh, uh, in general, we think basically uh, absolutely very much the case, right? But if you step back and look at the big picture and basically say that if data is a new resource, right, it's replacing. Um, oil and gold and what have you as an example, or at least it's a, it's, a, it's a substitute. Then you look at what's going on, okay? So I want to use a couple of examples, uh, Stephen, to give uh, illustrate the point. So if you look at uh, industries, and aviation industry is a good example of it as an example, where uh, aircrafts you know, hundreds started to be made about 100 years ago, and today there are hundreds of thousands that are flying every day, right, as an example. And the choice of the material they used to make the aircraft was aluminum, as an example, by and large, okay? And it was done because of light and all the properties and so forth 100 years ago. You know, if you, if you looked at 100 years ago and you look at today and basically said if, if 100 years ago, all the way from sourcing bauxite and processing it and improving it, uh, if the quality of aluminum hadn't improved, right? Uh, today, every minute there would be a, a wing dropping off <laughs> from an aircraft, as an example, right? So the, the industry, that, that industry, the aluminum industry has gone through taking a raw material, raw resource like aluminum to really purify it and deliver it in such a way that you can actually fly and, and no, nothing breaks, right, as an example. Similarly, the pharma industry, 
the food industry, every industrial area of uh, the world today, when you look at it, they've gone through this sort of process, right, where they actually take what they have, they put rigorous processes behind it to improve the quality and what have the value that they get in the end, okay, right? If I turn to information, as an example, and in information businesses, I think uh, I think the the first 50 years of our journey, basically, uh, yes, we have a big resource, and today it's more and abundant, but there is no such thing going on right now, right? So the net of it basically is that most everything looks like projects, uh, cottage industries, if you like, with data as an example. I have mine, fiefdoms, silos. You hear all these terms. So our view basically is. Stephen, is that there are many challenges uh, companies have with data. Uh, the biggest challenge that they have, obviously, today is securing the data, right? They have to protect the data. And the second biggest challenge is quality. And the quality problem is so big that it uh, sort of costs, uh, IBM has studied, uh, your own study shows that it can cost anywhere up to over a trillion dollars globally is what it's costing, right? So we think that these things can be tackled in a, in a more industrial way now. Okay, and uh, that's sort of how we approach uh, tackling the issues around data, right? In a more industrial way where customers can look at it holistically across every uh, surface area where they're deploying solutions and what have you as an example. And then behind it, if you look at this, uh, you also hear today with machine learning and AI, organizations are preparing to sort of launch those initiatives. And a lot of them are stalled because the quality of the data is not right. So now to fix the quality, you employ a lot of processes, a lot of capabilities, and you hear the term data wrangling. And it's very common to hear everyone describe data wrangling and say 80% of the time is spending data wrangling or what have you. Right? So that journey from actually taking a resource to actually getting the value to that AI uh, or even a deep learning journey, we think there's industrial approaches needed for data uh, uh, security, curation, so on and so forth. And that's the way organizations should start thinking. That's the way we think about it, Stephen. Okay, so there's a there's a lot to pick up on there, Jay. I mean, just if you could maybe elaborate and go a next level down, what role do you see the mainframe playing in that type of discussion? I think there wouldn't be any argument from our listeners around that data wrangling and some of the issues that people would see. But obviously, we've got a, a mainframe specific crowd as our as our listener audience here. So, what role do you see the mainframe? I suppose, playing in that whole landscape. Absolutely. In fact, I think the mainframe plays perhaps the most critical of roles here, right? So if you look at financial services or other industries, uh, as an example, uh, the, the, the business most critical data enterprises have is in the mainframe, whether it's transaction data, credit card data, banking data, healthcare data, whatever you want to say, right? All that data is arising in the mainframe, right? And uh, uh, much of the data basically uh, sort of, you know, uh, is analyzed on the mainframe, but then it leaves the mainframe as well as an example, right? People have to go, they, they take the data elsewhere. So we, we look at this and basically say that in the mainframe environment, right there where the systems of records exist, uh, there is an opportunity to start to industrialize, right? To start to basically tackle issues right there on the Zlinux. Uh, mainframe environment as an example, right? And that's the capability that uh, we're, uh, we've sort of got in place now, right? Is to help companies take the data that's coming up, the business critical systems they have, uh, whether they are uh, you know, in DB2 or Oracle or any other system, IMS, VSAM, whatever they have, and be able to essentially analyze and curate and prepare the data right there in the mainframe, right? So they don't have to extend the data out to some other environments, 
uh, and wait for it and what have you. So there's several benefits here, right? One is basically you're able to use the mainframe for a lot more where the data is originating. Uh, and you can then put the data back to use for ML, AI, and what have you, right there in the mainframe, right? So when companies are looking at AI and ML today, they're looking to infuse uh, artificial intelligence capabilities in business processes. And these business processes are right there running on the mainframe as an example, right? So why pull things out, go someplace else, bring it back, and you can actually just expand the mainframe and do it right there, right, as an example. Is that, Stephen, does that give you sort of a perspective? It, it really does, and I think our listeners are going to be appreciative of, of of what you're saying there, Jay, which I would summarize as, you know, don't try and move and transport that data to another platform. Actually, and as you eloquently put it, infuse that data management onto the platform itself rather than do a ETL-type activity to move it off the off the mainframe and do that work elsewhere. Exactly. All the new data, the critical data is being generated on the mainframe. So do it right there. So you don't have to go anyplace else. And it sort of increases security. It, it has a lot of benefits behind it, right, for enter- large enterprises. Yes. That, that much comes through. So I'm conscious of time here. And what we, we've got an audience of listeners that, that really are starting out on their career. Uh, I think we've got some veterans here, and myself included, but what I'd like to do is get your perspective of if you were talking to yourself back as you were leaving college, maybe age 21, age 22, what would you be saying based on your years of experience? So, so maybe um, we can go to go round the horn, Todd, if you want to kick us off, what would you be saying to your younger self as you were starting a career in IT based on your experience? Well, you know, I'm a sales guy and I am, absolutely positive to tell my son when he comes back from Italy on his vacation is to say that you need to uh, go get exposed to the IBM mainframe right in selling that technology because it'll be a great career yeah, I think that's solid advice and maybe yourself Len what would you what would your advice be to your younger self I believe very much in the IBM mainframe because it is basically invisible to the world, but at the same time, it runs the world. And what I usually do when I'm in these academic initiative uh, sessions with many of the colleges and universities that I go to pre- to present about the mainframe, I, I kind of level set them uh, in this way. I say... Turn off Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any of these other uh, types of social media. You might not be very happy, uh, but the world would continue to survive. Turn off all the mainframes in the world, and you better go find a shelter very quickly because mainframes would fall out of the uh excuse me, airplanes would fall out of the sky. Um, you wouldn't be able to do any kind of financial tractions, transactions. You couldn't use your credit cards. You couldn't get medical help. You couldn't do just about anything because all of that belong, uh, runs and depends upon the mainframe. So that is how important it is. And if you're thinking about a career, 
as opposed to just a job, this is the place to look. And that's how I do it. And it kind of hits them between the eyes. I remember one kid came up to me and said, is that really true? I said, yeah. And I, it was at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, Stephen, and right outside the doorway in the student union building where I was presenting to the kids, the students, was a Wells Fargo ATM. Literally, the door opened and there it was standing. I said, have you ever used that Wells Fargo terminal? They said, yeah, I use it all the time because sometimes I don't have enough money with me and I'm on my way to, to the uh, snack bar and I, or I'm going to the bookstore to get something I need. I go, what if you couldn't use that? Well, he says, I don't know where I would get my money. I said, guess what that runs on? No way, Len. I go, yes, it does. It runs on the mainframe. And so that's how the approach that I take a lot with these students and is why I volunteer uh, so much of my time to the IBM Z academic initiative going around to all the schools. So, so Jay, what would, and that's fantastic, Len, and I know you're a strong advocate for the platform and I think the community certainly appreciates your advocacy and what you do. And I think the essential nature of the platform sort of is lost, I think on a lot of people. So we need to spread that word. So, so Jay, finally go to you what would be your advice to your younger self uh, yeah i think it would be it would be that uh, some of the biggest databases that run the world today run on ibm mainframe they don't run any place else so the world is running on mainframe and if you if i want to work with data the most critical data is on the ibm mainframe right industry upon industry upon industry the data sits on the ibm mainframe and uh, if ultimately a uh, natural order uh, is and is taking place, uh, you know, with data as well. Uh, and uh, so I would look at this, uh, if I were a young person coming out of college, uh, you want to work with the most critical data in an enterprise, it is on the mainframe. If you want to develop analytic capabilities uh, for the most critical data, it will be on the mainframe. Uh, and so what you have is an opportunity to basically uh, place yourself in a very unique quadrant, you know, uh, by, by, by looking in this way. The second thing basically, Stephen, is that, you know, uh, historically people, uh, because mainframe has a long history and I started talking about terminals and what have you, uh, today all that is completely invisible. Uh, mainframe is no longer mainframe. It, it, it is behind a cloud and nobody even sees it. Doesn't, the infrastructure and what have you is not invisible to anybody, except you get a lot of capacity, you get a lot of capabilities, right? And a lot of the innovation, if I'm a technical person uh, and I'm looking at innovation around security, blockchain, and all of those things, the mainframe is leading the charge, right? It's not the generalized commodity world that is out there today. So I would look at it from the perspective of advanced technology, critical data, the real important things to the business. If, if, if I want to work in that area, it's a mainframe. That's what I would do as a, as a, as a graduate coming out of college. That's Go for the mainframe. That's fantastic. And I'd certainly agree, Jay. Well, I'm conscious to keep us on time here, gents. We, we always like to wrap the call and, uh, for our, and the show for our listeners by talking about what we see going forward. And I always ask this question as a good way to wrap up our, our time together, which is where do you see things two, three, five years out into the future? So so maybe we'll start with you, Len, and, and just try and keep us on time here and keep us quick. If you could just give us your projections going forward, where do you see us three years from now? I believe that people are going to quickly learn how this, open hybrid 
multi-cloud infrastructure known as the IBM Z mainframe is going to be able to help, especially because of the requirements and regulations in and around security and um, also uh, availability, uh, resiliency, and, and uh, protection of assets. This is right up the alley of the mainframe since its inception in April 7th, 1964. It has continually uh, paid attention to that, designed it in from the ground up. And once we get to the right people and explain this and uh, help educate them, it's, it's kind of a really a, a bunch of education that needs to be done here. And over the next three years or, or five years, I see this as um, very important uh, to the world, not just to the platform. And uh, I, 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 that's how I view it. Yeah, I'd agree, Len. And Todd, where would you, where would you see your projections? Where would you see us three to five years out? You know, having been in, you know, outsider you know, of IBM, you know, in the past, you know, since my uh, mother went to high school with Ken Olson, you know, who founded Digital Equipment Corporation, is, you know, coming around to uh, the mainframe technology has been, you know, I don't call it uh, uh, uplifting is the wrong term, right? But, you know, how it comes back to, you know, driving extreme data's technology on the I IBM mainframe is uh, pretty outstanding, right? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And, and maybe as we look to wrap here, Jay, what, what would be your sort of three to five year projection? Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, the the very things that the mainframe has stood for for the last uh, you know thirty, forty, fifty years, right, in terms of uh, customer data uh, protection uh, and so forth. I think that'll obviously we're in an, in an era where privacy protection is number one, security is number one. Right, and so you never hear about uh, breaches on the mainframe. You hear about breaches every place else, right? As an example, so I think we this is going to start is already starting to dominate. It will become the issue for brands, right, to protect themselves. So I I think I think uh, mainframe has proven itself to be a very 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 strong platform. The investments that IBM has made and continues to make just make it even stronger and easier for enterprises to adopt and what have you. So, so data protection, uh, privacy protection, uh, very, very important. Second, basically, is this industrialization, right, where you avoid moving it around for unnecessary reasons and what have you. You can just industrialize and get value out of the data about as fast as it's feasible, right, very, very quickly. So industrialized uh, approaches to cleaning up the data, protecting the data, machine learning, so on and so forth, is what we see coming up. Fantastic. Well, guys, it's been fantastic to have you with us today. I think we've had an extended version of the I'm a Mainframer podcast. Um, so I'd like to thank you all for your participation. Um, click and subscribe if you've liked the conversation today. Um, I think we're going to have some exciting podcasts coming through um, in the coming months. 
as we go through 2020. So click and subscribe on the links below and we'll see you soon on the I'm a Mainframer podcast from the Open Mainframe Project.